Yes. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, anyway, I can take it down a notch now. Not really. Not really. So it is so good to be a Christian because um, I like to laugh, and I don't do enough of it. Um, we've been endeavoring to talk about our uh, emotional, healthy spirituality, what it means in our emotions, all those things. And there are lots of emotions flying around out in the world. Um, and in one respect, it makes me, uh, I'll say sad, I mean, you know, just like, ah, oh, what's going on? But in the other respect, um, I do appreciate it because it makes me laugh. Did you know Elmo was on Twitter this last week? <laughs> um, on X, whatever it is now. I don't have an account. I don't want an account. It's okay. Um, I want to live my life, and uh, you don't need to know what I have for breakfast this morning, so I don't need to share that, right? So, but what, what, what was apparently uh, sent out was, how is everybody feeling? And in one sense, it's sad because there are so many responses to a puppet. <laughs> I don't know if people got the gist of it or not, but it just, I just had to chuckle. And all, oh, I'm not feeling good. I'm, uh, and they're describing all these things that are going on, right? To a puppet. <laughs> My grandkids, um, the oldest one especially, goes, you know, he's asked all these questions. Grandpa, what was it like growing up? This, that, and the other thing. And somehow, and I think I've said this before, we got on um, the Muppets. And so he quickly YouTubes this, and, and he just thought it was the silliest, dumbest, hilarious thing he'd ever seen. <laughs> and so the sad part to all that is, is they're hurting people. There's emotional, and all those things that happen to our life, and they're talking to a puppet. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at what it looks like to talk about spiritual maturity and why I enjoy and finally get to a place of faith in Jesus Christ being a Christian is even in the midst of all the stuff, the, 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 the scripture that was read this morning, Isaiah, where, you know, I grow weary, I fall down, all those things, right? Because I do. Do you do? I, I mean, I do. In fact, I had a little conversation this morning, um, and this beautiful lady is a little bit farther down the road than I am, but I am now officially old enough to go, hmm, I'm beginning to understand what you're talking about. <laughs> because I can't do those things I used to do. I have a picture of one of the first hiking trips I ever took high school students out. And my, again, my grandkids, they love to pick on me um, because I am like, you know, mountain man ripped beard. Yeah. <laughs> that was like 25 plus years ago. <laughs> like, Grandpa, look. And it hurts now, right? There's different things that happen in life. It does. Because I'm getting old. Just the fact that you're getting older. All of those things play into our emotions and minds, and we've been trying to get through this idea of what does it mean to be emotionally healthy in our spiritual life. How do you take all those things that God has given us and not give them over to what once was in our worldly way, but now in this new life we have in Christ? We, the things we just sang, really, if, if more of you means less of me, take it up. Really? That, I mean, that's an awesome song and a good prayer. But is that true? And so this is what Paul is going through. So last week we, began, we started this whole process with the idea of the question, is God happy with you? And again, if you are in Christ, he is what? Pleased with you. Happy with you. Before you do anything, before you have to aspire to anything, all those things, the, the baggage that maybe you have when you grew up, that, oh, you've got to do this, get good grades, all this stuff, be something, in order to be this, and the pressure you feel, the emotions, all that stuff, God comes in and says, you belong to me now. 
I am happy with you just the way you are. And then we get this caveat because the just the way you are is fine. But guess what? He doesn't, as a good, loving father, let you stay where you are. It can't happen. And that's where Paul is going with. And so we have been identified with Christ, saved by faith, and he is happy with you. The joy you have comes in. And in the midst of everything you and I face, there's a new perspective now. We had this idea of this understanding that we are now called, if you will. We are now on a different team. We have jettisoned the old team, the old uniform, the old things for the new. And so, therefore, we have to trust the coach. So we left off all those things and ended up with this contrast. And that's really what I want to go through this morning is the contrast of old to new and what that looks like. Right? And so the key here is this emotional, healthy spirituality, this idea of discipleship, this idea of your spiritual growth and maturity is just what we sang, just the, the, the Isaiah scripture, all of that is in growing in Christ-likeness. That's why we say, hey, belong to Christ, grow in his likeness. Why? So you can reach people where you live, work, and play with the gospel. It's that simple. Easy to say, right? Hard to do. And it requires this. It requires you and I to put off, to throw off the old pattern of life, the old sinful patterns of life, or to chuck off all the ideas and thoughts and feelings about the old team I was on before I came to Christ. It means they have to relearn how to do life God's way. So Ephesians 4, this is what Paul is doing. And remember the Ephesians. The Ephesians is one of the most immaculate. This is one of the seven wonders of the world back in the day, right? The Temple of Diana, Artemis. Um, I won't get into a whole lot of that, but it was, it was the epicenter of the world at that time, all these of banking. It was extremely wealthy, extremely extravagant, all of those things, pretty much like how you and I have grown up, right? in that affluence and all those things. That's what they had. And uh, part of their worship, they had this great idea. And I always, well, I'll preface. Um, I won't say that part because that will get me in trouble. But <laughs> um, how they would worship, they had this great idea. Let's play this really cool music. Let's add some you know, psychedelic things. And let's just have sex. And we'll just pack the place out. And guess what happened? They packed the place out. So here's the caveat. So um, years ago, student ministry, some of the kids were a little frustrated because um, they didn't think the ministry was growing fast enough. And I'm like, look, you want to pack the place out, we'll just get free drugs away. We'll pack it out tomorrow, right? They didn't think that was appropriate, but that's what I told them. The point is, what are you attracting them to? You, you want, if that's your goal, we can do that. But that's not the goal. The goal is to become like Christ. And there is this extreme contrast that Paul lays out for us. And it goes like this. Because of all that stuff that was happening in the Ephesian uh, uh, the city itself, the, the worship of Artemis, you can go to the book of Acts, why there was a riot, why there was all this stuff that Paul goes through. It's because of that. You take someone's wealth away. You take their business away. You tell them, hey, you don't need to worship all that stuff anymore. God has freed you. And now you impact my pocket. And all those rich people get what? pretty irritated <laughs> and they want to take it out on somebody because they don't want to lose what they've got right and so there is this huge verse 17 chapter 4 of Ephesians now Paul is saying this I say to testify to the Lord that's super important this is not Paul's uh, he's not just flipping this off of his mama it's in the Lord okay revelation from the Lord this is what he's getting that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding 
understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. That's the old self, right? Here's the contrast, the other side of that. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. One of those comparison texts, if you're taking notes, you want to write down in 1 John 5, uh, again, the whole chapter, but pay close attention to verses 4 and 5. It says this, Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. I like that, because I like to win. I like to win really bad, right? It gets me in trouble because, you know, just again, ask my wife. She's awesome. She still loves me, and you know, it's all good. Ah, so, and this is, I had way too much caffeine this morning, as you can tell. <laughs> this is the victory that overcomes the world. What's the victory? What victory do you know you have that you know that you know that you know? Faith. Faith in whom? Faith in Jesus Christ. Who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Super important. You're on a new team, a new family, by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's redeemed you. He's made you a saint. He is to save you. He's transforming you. It means you now have the capacity to be an overcomer of this world. And that's what you and I continue to grow in. And it is a process. Because here's the question you're probably thinking, okay, fair enough. Why do I still struggle? Why do I still struggle with sin? And that's what Paul is dealing with here. In Christ, in other words, you have been now fitted for heaven. Right? You are now ready, if you are in Christ, to meet God face to face. You are ready for him. You're fitted with this new, new life. The issue is this. We're not there yet, right? Fair enough? You're still wrapped. You still have your old coat on. That's the issue. You are not glorified yet. You have been justified Sins are forgiven. Somehow God is able in his goodness and greatness and mercy. He remembers what, he doesn't remember them. Which is really, I just, I don't get that, honestly, to be truthful. How does a God who knows everything forget? (laughs) But it's gone. It's like, it's gone. It's just gone. The, The reason, I'll just say this, the reason for that is because of what Christ did on the cross. That's why he can forget, okay? (laughs) The blood of Christ. But we still are wearing this old suit, these old clothes. And Paul is saying it's the process of putting this off. Changing teams, changing families and everything. So here's key number two. Here's what Paul says, verse 17. Don't walk like the Gentiles do. And the idea of Gentiles is, is the pagan, paganism, all the religion, all that stuff. That's the idea. Okay? Don't do that. You don't walk that way anymore. The whole part of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, when he, when he lays this out. You know, walk the worthy walk. You've been saved. In other words, if you understand this, you're now able to make the distinctions between the two. You can clearly see it. You are now able to be an overcomer. Which, by the way, that Greek word, it just means victory or victor, right? It's, uh, 
The Greek word is nikeo, where uh, you get the word, we understand the word is Nike. All those shoes that you're paying lots of money for. That's what it means, victor. How have you overcome? Listen, if you remember, if you don't understand that you're in the battle, that you have one, um, that there's a struggle, then there's nothing to overcome. You're, you're done, right? If you don't feel it, if you don't get it, if you're not working it, then, then, you, then you're, you've arrived. See, the principle we see here is Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation. Take heart what? I have overcome. Remember we talked about the principle, greater to lesser. If Jesus Christ has done the greatest thing, then the lesser things can be accomplished as well. So the things in my life that are lesser than what he's done, because I can't accomplish the greatest thing, my need for salvation, my need for him, he's done that for me. I now have the capacity to do the lesser things, meaning to live this life out in a way that honors him. So you can see which team I'm on. As adopted children, God is happy with you. You're being blessed by God. You've risen above sin, in other words, this world, the evil age, Satan's destructive systems, um, and, and that's how we are to overcome. And as a Christian, your life is a lifestyle designed to be now different. And that's the rub, right? Ephesians 2, again, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which, by the way, it, he goes on to say, which I appreciate this, because I just, he prepared for you in advance. You know, uh, in, in advance. I don't have to look for them. They're all prepared for me. I like that. Again, silly analogy, right? My incredibly awesome, wonderful wife. Um, she'll laugh because I don't cook much, right? So she prepares food, which I appreciate. <laughs> I don't have to do anything, set the table. Okay, so the deal is she makes the mess. I usually clean it up, right? So she does all this cooking stuff, and, and since I don't, I just clean the kitchen because that's about all I'm good for. <laughs> okay? But yet, you get it? You don't, in other words, you don't have to go searching. You're not, God's not, hey, I want you to climb this mountain, go on this quest, do all this stuff. He's already done it for you. You just have to show up. And as a baby of the family, I like that. <laughs> just, here I am. Okay. Tell me what to do. First John 5, again, we have overcome. And the contrast, when you look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 4, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or in that picture, if you have a King James Version, I like it a little better, um, the world is in the lap of, sitting in the lap of Satan, basically. That's the picture you get. First uh, Thessalonians 4 says, the Gentiles don't know God. They don't know him. But you're not that anymore. That's not you anymore. So again, the question becomes, this idea of how do you look back in your own life. You can apply this to your personal life. You'll see this in culture in a variety of ways. But when there are things that you haven't dealt with in your past, you need to go back and make sure you've addressed those things. In our regen ministry, we call it inventory. Have I, have I gone through this? And the point is this. We do this with Reengage too, which uh, you want to still sign up for our marriage ministry. It begins this Wednesday night. Um, you can do that. Um, it's not to stir the pot. It's not to go, oh, I fixed this, and then we, oh, now i got to go back and rip this off again and get all emotion. That's not the point. The point is to make sure, have you done that? Is it good, in other words? Not to stir the pot. Not to be offensive, but to get clear of it. To be free from that in your life. To be the overcomer. To settle it in your mind. All of those things. 
not to be tossed back to back and forth with every wind of doctrine and so on, which Paul will go on to in Ephesians 4. Okay, so here's, I don't know, key number three, point number three. First, um, you have to have a transformed mind. You've got to get clear of the old stuff. And David does a really good job of this. Why David was a man after God's own heart? Because he did this very thing. And you go back and look at David's life, you go, wow, not a really good dad. He killed a guy. He's having an affair. Oh, and, and you just the list, right? And you look at that and go, oh. And then some of you are like, well, golly, I haven't done that, so I'm really good. No, you're not. <laughs> I love you, but you're not. <laughs> but David had this understanding of his sinful nature and how to eliminate that and get rid of that. And so in Psalms 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know if there's any anxious thoughts in me. God, actively get this out of me so I can be free, so I can be at peace, so I don't have to worry. Again, Jesus is saying, when he comes, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be fearful. And you're sitting there thinking, how in the world? This is how you do it. This is the process in which we do that. I have to have this transformed understanding, this transformed mind. Again, Ephesians, Paul leads all up to this. The, the world doesn't function properly. It functions in three specific areas, these general areas. It follows the course of this world, meaning the dictates and systems of this world. It has different values, different morals. Um, the, Satan is overseeing this, meaning pagan worship and all those things. Uh, you know, um, I, I've got tons of examples. One example is this. When it comes to worldly systems, when you think about that, um, I don't... I just followed a little bit of the DeVos in Switzerland, the, the World Economic Forum, and what was going on. So these are the uber-wealthy and rich of the world, and they come to one place, and they had this pagan, I'll just say, worship service inside where this person is going around them, like, coughing and barking on them. And yet, when I'll have a gospel conversation, oh, so you want to take us back and go backwards. Well, I want to go forwards. Well, what I don't want is to go back to that. Because I know what paganism leads to. I can look at history. I can go to the library. I can read history. And look, doesn't work out so good for people. So I don't want that. But what I do want to do is to reset it and go, hey, we need to come to terms with who God is. Because when we do that, that's what I want to go back to. So now it's just a mattering of which one you want to pick. And because of who they are, the darkness that they're in, the other one, that category is these fleshly passions. So the course of this world, the, the, the values and belief systems of the world, understanding Satan is the, the prince of this uh, system and that there are fleshly passions and desires, these emotions that God has given us that are good but now have been twisted in a sinful way. And so Paul is addressing that. So I just want to give you these characteristics, the contrast. So here we go. Here's the first one in verse 17. Here's the contrast of what, what you're jettisoning. You're jettisoning the futility of your mind. What Paul says, in the old way, we were walking in this futility. It just means emptiness or void. Everything is seen through the, the resolution of my own rationality, how I think. It's a, really, if you want to just say self, self-centeredness, you could just say that. Because that's really what it boils down to. In other words, my mind is the ultimate of knowing. And that's the filter everything passes through in this world, and I get to decide all of those things. The ultimate problem is that is that leads to this emptiness and futility. It's vain. Just read Ecclesiastes. It's vain. It's pointless. It's listless. It's purposeless. It just goes all over the map. That's the old system. 
And if there's areas in my life that I still do that, when I need to go back in there and go, okay, God, if more of you means less of me, take this piece. Money, emotions, family. It doesn't matter what category you want to go back and, and double check. And I need to get clear on that. When, my, when a mind really is functioning, again, you're disconnected from God, this transcendent wisdom, then all I have is what I know. And when you ponder that, and if you can long enough, that should scare you to death. Because you're not transcendent. You can't get outside of you, in other words. It's the character of this world, it's the character of our nation, it's the character of our society, and you're seeing it being lived out currently. Here's the second one. Verse 18. Where futility abounds, when their emptiness abounds, when I'm not thinking clearly, my only option is to suppress the truth. Romans talks about that. It's this will for ignorance of the truth. Why? Because it's convicting, just like we talked about Cain a few weeks ago. He gets mad. Why? Because he doesn't like what God is telling him. I don't like your answer. I don't like your method, so I'm just going to reject it and create my own. And he has to, again, with students. And they still bring this up, and some of them are, like my daughter, going to be 40 this year. I use the analogy of a beach ball, right? You go to the beach, go to the pool, whatever, it's fun. And this idea of suppression is you take that beach ball, you, you have to energetically hold it under the water. Why? Because if you have a pool or if you've been to the beach and you let it go, it's like a half mile down the road to Lake Michigan or wherever we've gone. It naturally will pop up and float all by itself. That's the truth, right? You actively, willfully lie and keep it under the water, say it doesn't exist. And it's a form of this hardness or hardening of the heart. It becomes like a stone then. And that's a terrifying state, if you will, of a willful mind who is rejected to hearing the truth. Someone who says no to God over and over and over again until God does this. Okay. You can read that in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. I mean, you can see this all through Scripture. We get a little offended when God said, God, Pharaoh, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's so mean. He didn't have a choice. Yeah, he does have a choice. He's made his choice. He already made it. That's the point. He wouldn't listen. That's the point. So, God, okay. So, when you read that in the Old Testament, especially, just know this is the judgment of God coming to an individual or to a nation or to whatever. Again, Paul says the same thing in Romans. God gives them up. Revelation 22, the just, uh, let the just uh, be, or let the unjust be unjust, John says. To the filthy, let them be filthy. Just, there they go. Here's the third one. Again, this is the old life. And please, please, please remember this. This has nothing to do with your salvation, that you're, you're trying to fix yourself. You're already what? A saint. You're already, God's already happy with you, so please don't in your mind go, oh, i got to start this list, right, and, and run through this in order to please God. He is already in Christ when you're happy with you, okay? Huge difference. We, and we get messed up, oh, I've got to, you know, make this list and do this and be this, and oh, then God's happy with me. He is already happy with you when you are in Christ. This is just now the likeness of Christ, your sanctification, your spiritual maturing and growth, the fruit if you are a Christian. 
which is something that you want to see in your life. Why? So you can have the confidence to know you're a Christian. That you're not wondering. He doesn't want you to wonder, am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Oh, I don't know. No, he wants you to know. And you can know. Here's the third one, verse 19. So you have the futility of their minds, the suppression of truth, and it leads to this callousness. It's this idea of this hardness. And you have it calluses. You, you understand that. It's impenetrable. It's like you're talking to a wall. It doesn't matter anymore. It leads to that. And what that leads to in practicality in our life is shameless. There's, there's no shame. It's just shamelessness. Nothing is out of bounds anymore. Nothing in life becomes out of bounds. In other words, that's not wrong. And who are you to tell me? I can go do this. You lose the capacity to feel guilt, shame, anything that would convict you of any morality or anything right or wrong. And usually it turns out like this. The problem usually when you're there, you're not the problem. It's what? It's everybody else. Well, if you just quit pointing that out, that you think I'm that, I'll be happy. Stop it. Just accept who I am. In our small group, this comes up um, and um, this little saying you know, you be you, you just do you. <laughs> Dina loves that one. <laughs> but that's the point. It's hardened over. It becomes callous. This is, the, this is the old self and what that looks like and what it does. There is no ultimate standard than outside of yourself. There's nothing truly wrong anymore. And you're not affected by it. Really, the only feeling you have in this processor that when you get to this place is that of self-desire so anything that comes this direction that i don't like feel whatever enjoy or is going to call me i don't i don't want that in my life anyone who brings something that would oppose me to go hey that's you should probably think about nope not going to think about that so practically what does that look like in our society or in someone's life and again, you have to pull these categories. You're all smart people, smarter than I am. So you have to bring this back. To go, have I done that? When you take this inventory to go back, to go, have I, have I gone through that? Have I repented of those things? Is this out of my life? Or do I still harbor some of these things somewhere in my life? Remember the iceberg. That's the whole idea behind the, the series that the 10% that people see, what's the other 90% under the water that no one sees? Have you gone there to, to get it out, in other words? And how it's showing up presently, men can become women. That's how it shows up. We can disfigure perfectly healthy girls and boys and call it okay because they don't like who they are. We can redefine marriage and therefore it doesn't really mean anything anymore and so on and so forth. You see all through culture. This is where we are culturally. And when you do something honorable and good to call that out, as in pray in front of abortion clinic and you're arrested and you're charged because you peacefully prayed and then you end up with 11 years sentence for being in prison because you prayed that's what this looks like in a cultural sense but what does it look like for you where are those areas that you're callous in your own life I have them it's why the things make me angry I get angry that's my thing I don't want to be angry but in, honestly, in some respects, when I go there, I, I feel okay, which is a sad thing. Because it's, it's release. 
and frustration of the things that I want, and that's the problem. So I'm not immune to this. What does all that lead to? Here's the fourth one Paul does. Again, contrast, verse 19. It's a non-functioning mind. You come to the end of this process, this contrast that Paul gives in the old self, your mind no longer functions. Just like Adam and Eve, let's hide from a God who knows everything and we'll run to the bushes, right? It's a reprobate mind, Paul says. It literally is a mind that is just blown. It is senseless. There's nothing there. What does it give itself to then? Paul says sensuality. And, he, and that word, by the way, um, sensuality, it's always coupled with something else in Scripture, usually. Nine times out of ten. It can be connected with drunkenness, with it's, you know, to the point of excess, out of control. I can't control it. Almost like an addiction kind of thing. When connected to sexuality, it's this idea of this animalistic gratification sexually. And coupled with the idea here, there is just no self-restriction to anything. That's the idea. You are greedy in, in, in every aspect about your mind, will, and emotions. And you will do anything to fulfill that. And you will hurt anyone because it doesn't matter to you anymore. That's how the old man works. I'll take advantage of you. And I'll feel nothing except disdain and hatred for you. That's all I'll feel. Now you may be thinking, oh man, I'm glad I'm not like that. <laughs> or come on, not everybody that I go to work with tomorrow is like that. Fair enough. But please hear this. In human society or in and of themselves, there is nothing that ha- they, there's no capacity for them to stop. To get there. Without Jesus Christ, that gate is wide open. So they may not be to that far end of things yet, but there is no restriction for them not to go except someone in their life. Maybe you. Maybe that gospel conversation you keep having with them. See, the only restraint is God's righteous, gracious hand, his general grace in society. The light that comes today, the sunshine, the rain that comes on the just and the un that's what is the restraint. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you and me in this church. And listen, it's salt and light. We are Christ's earthly body. So there must be this distinction in my life. It's the church that preserves what takes place in the world. I mean, a good example will be when God came to Abraham and, and, and he's going to go destroy Sodom. And what does he do? He pleads with them. He starts with this really big number because he's so, oh, there's got to be at least, you know, 150 whatever righteous people. What does he end up with? Ten. How many were there? Less than ten. Lot's family. Don't, don't, don't throw the righteous. Don't, don't, don't do that, Lord. That, that's, not, that's not who you are. And again, in his grace and his mercy, he gives them the opportunity. Listen, unless God acts, evil men will grow worse and worse, Scripture says. And you and I, as his chosen people, must live in contrast to that. That's the old life that you and I evaluate and go through to go, am I, have I done that? That's why I would encourage you to be in a small group or be in a Bible study. Or, or you know, especially um, yesterday with our men's breakfast for all you men, you know, the idea of worshiping at home. It is your role and responsibility to do that. So with your wife. And I have been blessed. Again, my, again I refer to her as my credibly awesome, wonderful wife. Why? Because I have 3,000 plus reasons of why she is, and I can't name them all, because she'll ask, why do you love me? I'm like, oh, ah. 
You're cute. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? But the fact that she now sees me more than anybody and clearly cuts through all the nonsense and bluster that I'll try to throw up there. And as hard as that is, and that's where my anger will come in, but as hard as that is, I know she's not doing it to be hurtful, but to help me in this process. Here's the flip side of that. With four corresponding old world that we're supposed to throw off, Paul gives us four new ones. Let me run through them quick. Here's verse 20. You learn from Christ. This is the new man. This is what you're doing now. Because you left that, you are going to be coachable, right? That's what my coach says. When he's yelling at us, screaming at us, because we weren't following through with something, didn't do something on the, on the either baseball field, basketball field, or, or football field, whatever. God bless him. You're not coachable, he'd say. In other words, listen. You have to learn this. I don't care what you think you know. You have to learn this. And he would say, be coachable. In other words, yes, you can be taught. Remember, the old man, everything has to be thrown out. And now all of life gets processed through the mind of Christ. Paul says, Christ now lives in me. Or how we say it, all of life for all of Christ. That's Philippians 2, where that comes from. 2.5, I think. What have you learned from Christ? That I get what I want when I want it? That if I feel it, do it? You didn't learn from Christ to walk in the emptiness of your own mind that Paul just describes, but in the fullness of his. Do you want to do the things Christ wants you to do in life? You have the capacity to do it now. You must learn from him. Even the mundane things, even the diapers you're changing, even the, the stuff you're cleaning up after, whatever, or all those things you have to do from that to really hard things, which are, that's not fair, because, you know, when you're there, it's hard. Sorry, if you're there. <laughs> Especially if you got two kids in diapers. It's like, ah, oh, trust me, as a grandpa, happens like that. I know you don't think so, and they're never going to get out of diapers, but yes, they will. And they're going to grow up, and they're going to go, oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> God understanding his divine plan for you, this universe, knowing the mind of what God is doing. That's why it's so good to be a Christian because I know what the process is. I don't have to be fearful of it. I have been given my, it's as if it's God has written this, this script for you in your life. He goes, do you want to act? Be an actor. In other words, here's, here's your life. I'm giving this to you, but it's in this grand scheme of where this world is going. You live your part out in me, and I will bless you. I will give you the things of your heart. Why? Because my mind, will, and emotions are lining up with who and what God is. Just live your part out. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you'll have to. He doesn't, he doesn't bait and switch you. He doesn't trick you into thinking, oh, this is going to be great, and, and you're not going to have any issues in this life. And yes, you will. Please hear that. You will struggle in this life. But what does he say? I have overcome. Take heart. I have overcome. You can have his mind. Here's the second one. Because of that, you know the truth. You know truth. You're no longer ignorant, in other words. Jesus is this embodiment of the truth. He is the truth. He's the only truth. Again, which is offensive to the callous mind. That means it's knowable, by the way. If it exists, it's knowable. If you can know it, it's reality. It's Jesus, you're my rule in my life. You're Lord, I'm submitting to you. And all those things that are still under the water in my life, 
to get them out, to get them clear, to get free of them. So I don't feel anxious. I'm not worrying about all of those things. I'm not de- in depression all of, and all that. So working through all of that. We come to terms with the truth, in other words. That was Pilate's question, kind of in a mocking way. What is truth? Truth about who God is. Truth about the nature of man. Truth about sin. About Christ. About how we got here, meaning creation. About life. About death. About heaven. About hell. All of those things. There is truth. Relationships that you have. Your marriages and what they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to glorify God. The joy, the love, the peace in life. You can know those things. What do we keep saying here? This is where it comes from. By what standard? Everybody has one, right? You have one, I have one. It's just a matter of where, it, where it's at. Here's number three. Because of the new nature that you have in Christ, that you've been remade, you are now sensitive to sin. Verse 22. You're called to put off the old self, to cut it off, show no quarter to it. Jesus said if your eye causes you to sin, what do you do? It's drastic, right? Cut it off. Hands, cut them off, okay? This, this idea, it's this notion of this is how you should understand how sin is in your life, how it affects you, whether you feel it, believe it, whatever, this is how it affects you, and this is how you should treat it. Like touching a hot stove. There's going to be a corresponding issue. Or like when my son mowed the yard when we found out he had allergies and he came in and his eyes were shut, his face was all swollen, and his nose would not shut off. Like, oh, okay. And my beautiful daughter goes, hmm, I think that's just an excuse for you not to mow the yard. <laughs> I'm like, no, we're going to give him some credit on this one. You do it. <laughs> there is this deep sense of recognizing sin. That's Jesus in Matthew 5, the whole Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Or again, like David did. First John says, if we tell ourselves we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And we make God to be a liar. But we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive. Man, I love being a Christian. Because just like the Isaiah passage, I fall, I stumble, all of those things. But to know that I can come and be forgiven, to be set free, Oh, I get it. There's some of those things that I've done. The consequences don't necessarily catch up with that feeling, but they will. And it may be hard. But I know the promise is true. Here's the last one. Peace of mind. This is what the new life in Christ gives you, this peace of mind, this renewal of your mind. We learn Christ. We know the truth. It makes us sensitive to sin, to hate it. And then our mind is renewed. What is that renewing meant to do? Give you the peace that you need. The peace in this life. I have come to give you peace and peace more abundant. That's what Jesus said. I don't give it like the world gives it. I'm giving it to you. Heavenly peace. Which actually shows up. See, again, I think as Christians in my life too. So I'm not discounting any. It's like, oh, that just sounds so good. But I'm not there yet. Yeah, I understand that. But he's given us a way to get there in this life. It's not something I'm pining away for, a way to go, yeah, heaven's going to be great, and I can't wait to get there, and this is just awful here. Right? Where's the fruit in people seeing your life when those things come? What do they really want to see when life happens to you, how you respond? I remember 
when Jack and I first got married, couldn't find a job in Lansing, much to my parents' uh, frustration. And I, I mean, I'm looking hard, 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 a week or whatever, application, application, application. I go down to Kalamazoo, the very first place I come to, Waddell's Nursery and Garden Center. What do they do? They hire me. I'm like, oh, my parents are going to hate me for this. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I got to go. Now, I love my mom, and especially my mom is, see, I get my, my, that stuff that I just described from my mother. <laughs> Although my dad had the name Storm and Norman for a reason, too. Anyway, I didn't have a chance. That's probably what it was. Holy mackerel, right? So um, I moved down there to start the job, and again, part of my story is, you know, I dishonored my wife. She was pregnant before we got married. And I'm working, and we find out Maria um, is having some issues as she's growing through this pregnancy. And so for the last number of months, Jackie couldn't be on her feet. She couldn't work. All this water was building around her, which puts pressure on the development of the baby, which puts pressure especially on the brain. And they're telling us um, if she survives, um, there's going to be you know, uh, mental, some mental things and all those things that come with that. Now, when you're 19, again, all I thought was, God just punishing the crap out of me. Sorry, that was not appropriate. But you know what I mean? He's, he's just punishing me for, what, for my sin. And yet, when you're in it, it's hard to see. But because it was the first place I went to, because they hired me, because they had a clause in their insurance, because I didn't have any insurance to go through any of this. And when you talk about a pregnancy back then, it, it wasn't super expensive. But when you say there's going to be surgeries and there's going to be extended hospital stays and you're going to be in the hospital for a long time, I have no means for that. And yet God in his goodness, and, you know, all I, all I can do is just honor him in it. There was a clause in Waddell's uh, insurance uh, company that if there was any complications with the pregnancy to the baby, it would be automatically covered. So all we had to do was take care of the actual birthing part. As far as financially speaking, sorry. My wife did all the work. <laughs> it's the peace that he wants to give you here now that is possible. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 2, referring to this impure spirit that a person whose mind has been made clean, he casts it out and it's clean, it's peaceful. But Jesus' issue was, hey, if you don't put the good things back in it, it's going to come back with seven more of its buddies, stronger, bigger, faster, better than it was before, and utterly destroy you. So you have to fill yourself up. What do you do? Here's a good, make a note of this, Philippians chapter 4, specifically verse 8. You have to fill your mind up with other stuff. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and so on, that whole, that's what you have to fill your life up with. It's God's righteousness and holiness, the truth in how you live, all because God is pleased with you. And see, this is where this vulnerability we talked about, this is where it starts to hit, because, uh, I don't know, yeah, this is where you get vulnerable, and it can be scary. It doesn't have to be. But I truly believe, at least in my life now, um, you can be introspective and reflect on your own, but if you don't have someone walking alongside you, 
you have this tendency to squirt out the side. And I've learned this in ministry just in my own life. When sin affects me like that, that's my tendency. I'll withdraw. I'll, I'll, I'll just pull an atom and just want to run to the bushes and hide. And from small groups, from anything, because I'm not right. And, and it's usually because there's something going on, there's sin in my life or something I haven't confessed, and I just don't want to be. So I hide, or I'll get angry. And even in those moments, God is working all through those things to draw me back, to seek you out, go, where are you? Why are you doing this? Listen, what resources do you have? Let me close with this. You've been given some resources. There's three of them. How do you do this? What are the resources you have? You have the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, he has given you his spirit to accomplish this, number one. Number two, you have the word of God. All scripture is inspired. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. Get in it, 2 Timothy 3, 16. That's how you want to be victorious. You got to know it. Expose your mind to the word of God and then pray. John just talked about that earlier. If we confess our sins, we will be forgiven. God's word washes us. Prayer is, you know, his word suds us all up and cleans us up, right? And prayer is the rinse cycle. Maybe there's tears that need to be involved while you're praying. I always thought tears are the outward expression of the cleansing of the inside, the cleansing of the soul. Maybe you need to cry a little bit. Maybe you need to laugh and honor God in what you're doing and to have joy in your life. But nonetheless, you and I now have the means in which we can be at peace, find rest in all the things that you're worried about in this life. Let the Lord govern all of it. Hey, Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your love and mercy that even when I fall, as Isaiah said, even when I stumble, even when I'm tired, even when I totally wreck it, you give me the strength, one, to, to deal with whatever consequences I might have to face. And even then, in your goodness, sometimes you take those away gracefully. But Father, I pray as we go through life, that we would be a people each and every day more earnestly desiring to bear the fruit of the life of Christ in our life. To do the battle of the old self, to want to get rid of the old coat, knowing we are already new. And through this process, everyone who is still in the darkness, everyone who still is in the futility of their thinking can see how we're responding to all of those things that you've written in our script of our lives that we have to deal with. The people that really know us where we live, work, and play, that they can see you more than they see us. They see our response in this new nature that you've given us in Christ. God, let us be loving one another like that. In Jesus' name, amen.